Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Andy J podcast. Podcast. Hello, welcome to the very latest Andy J podcast. We have a very special guest for you today. It is James Martin, celebrity chef par excellence, and the man who graces the UK's weekend televisions. Well, has done for such a long time, but literally for generations. Obviously, there was the BBC show that he did forever. Now he's been on ITV and just keeps going. His work ethic is incredible and he's a proper superstar celebrity. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story about how we managed to get James Martin. I had been told it wasn't going to happen for weeks and months and actually months. Yeah, to be fair, I've been trying to get hold of him since we started this maybe 12 months ago. Crikey, yeah, we're closing in on episode 52, aren't we? Wow. Anyway, I was always getting the same response, which was that he basically doesn't do interviews. And when I look across the last sort of 15 years or so, that absolutely stacks up. You just, he doesn't like it. He's not into the, the sort of, well, he's not into fame. He doesn't like the idea of celebrity and he doesn't like the idea of being famous and he doesn't really want to talk about himself. So when I was told no, and I, I don't really take no for an answer generally when I really want to get hold of someone, but it just continued to be no, 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 he doesn't really do it. Then I saw that he'd done something for Chris Evans and it was like, yeah, but Chris Evans is like his best mate. I'm like, oh, okay, fair enough. Then I saw he'd done a very, very short thing with Jason Plato and I was told, yeah, but, you know, Jason Plato is his racing buddy. So, you know, that's, that's just sort of a favour to a mate. And I was like, all right, okay. And then I saw he'd done something with Kate Thornton and they were like, yeah, but she'd just been on his show and it was sort of a, you know, a bit of a back scratchy thing. So I kept sort of understandable so he'd done like three things in 15 years yeah that's that's kind of it he's tapped out and then i said one more time i tried once more and it was like oh yeah well i'll tell you what he'll, he'll have a quick chat with you about cars he'll give you a call at this time so i was like amazing that's brilliant i'm thrilled and i genuinely felt i was going to get maybe 10 minutes with him and we'd use it for the driven chat radio show and also the driven chat podcast and those of you that are tuned into both of our pods you will notice that yesterday's Driven Chat podcast did indeed feature a chat with James Martin about cars. However, James and I chatted. I mean, it really took me by surprise and I was absolutely delighted. James and I chatted for an hour and eight minutes and it was fascinating and just such an enjoyable conversation. And of course, yes, we ramble into cars, but there's a whole load of stuff about him and his life and his sort of missions and his joys and his challenges and plenty of stuff in the kitchen and television and it's just a chat about him and what motivates him and what excites him and how he's had to push against all sorts of different issues and challenges across his life so this is an amazing conversation some of it some of the car stuff you may have already heard on the driven chat podcast but this is just the chat unedited as it happened for us I absolutely loved it. James was great company and a real pleasure. And he even said to me at the end, yeah, this will probably be the last interview I do for another decade now. That's, that's me done. And I was like, well, well, 
Thank you. <laughs> Just brilliant. So look, enjoy James Martin in conversation with me. I really loved it. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed having that chat. And incidentally, later this week, I'll be putting out another conversation I have with a celebrity chef, John Burton Race, the Michelin star superstar. Um, yeah, he's. It, we'll, we'll put him out in uh, in a couple of days' time because that's a, a really fun chat as well. I just didn't want to put them on the same billing here because, well, this is a long old chat and it deserves your undivided attention. So let's jump in. The Andy J Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Listen, I am so pleased to welcome a man so famous, you're going to know who he is when I tell you his choice of breakfast, which is Red Bull and Twix. I'm delighted to welcome chefing superstar TV royalty. It's James Martin. How are you doing, James? <laughs> how are you doing, Rod? Are you all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Red, Red Bull and a Twix. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a given, that one. Yeah. It's my favourite, well, I've got many favourite things about you, but it's one of my favourite random facts, because you sort of think of a chef as having the greatest palate ever. And yet, a red. Well, at least I'm honest. <laughs> at least I'm honest. Um, you know, a lot of chefs they, they come up with these amazing ideas of where they get these amazing recipes. On that's how I was walking along the Himalayan mountains, and 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 this this bird came across, and it gave me the inspiration for this dish. What a load of um, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Uh, now look, James, we, we've got so much to talk about, but I want to start off. I have seen something literally just before this call. I saw something on social media that that totally threw me, and I feel the the need to share it with you. Right. Ainsley Harriet has got into racing. Has he? Yeah, well, yeah, that was my reaction as well. Has he? <laughs> exactly. So, and this have is what really? I need to ask you about chefs and racing because Ainsley Harriet has he's just done a post which was put out on British GT, which is a brilliant championship, just put out on their social feed where he's bigging up the Harriet's chariot and talking about the drivers and everything else. And I'm like, what? Ainsley, Ainsley Harriet is doing the GT Championship. He or, can't is he? be. Or, he, he must be sponsoring I don't know. I, mean, I did it a long time ago, but I don't think my backside could fit in one of those cars anymore, <laughs> to be honest with you. But um, Obviously, you're not quick enough. But yeah, well, if he is doing it, great. I'll, I'll be texting him straight after this going, what, 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 what? Hey? You, um, need but to, yeah, great. you need to ask him what the Harriet's Chariot is. Um, my guess. Yeah, well, I see a lot of chefs are into cars, you see. There's... there's there is a lot of chefs that are into cars. It's, it's, uh, it seems to go hand in hand with the job, really. Well, this is where I was coming, because, of course, with British GT, you've mentioned you, you've you done it. Paul Hollywood yep. has had a decent kind of stint in yep. as well, and an Aston Martin. And now with Ainsley Harriet, what? Why is it? What is the connection with cars, racing and cooking? I don't know, to be honest. I think just many of us, when you were young kids training, really, we, you, you kind of see all these nice cars coming to the restaurant while you're working. Um, I remember working as one well, of my first ever head chef job was in Winchester and, and um, I remember it was part owned by Ron Dennis and he used to arrive in his McLaren F1 <laughs> and park it right outside the kitchen where the bins were because he said it was the safest place to be. <laughs> wow. and, um, and, and of course, you know, you, you dream not ever realizing you would ever be able to be in a position to be able to get something, uh, let alone, you know, anything else. I remember having a Vauxhall Nova at the time and then ran out of money and I had no car at that time. So I used to walk everywhere. So it, it's kind of one of those things that kind of go hand in hand, really. Gordon's, Gordon's got a big car collection. Jamie likes the oddball sort of stuff. Gary Rhodes was a big car collector. Um, a big, big Ferrari note as well, Gary. Um, but you know, we have chefs come on the show here and come down to the house, and they come in all the fancy cars as well. I, I think it's, I think it's just, 
it, it's the it's not a status symbol. It's never a status symbol for a chef. It's it's that it's that thing that you've achieved success in your life. And okay, you know, most people go out and buy what, a Gucci suit or whatever it is. It, it that never really interests me. It's just I, I see cars as a fascination with to me the movable pieces of art. To be honest with you. Yeah, well, I mean, your collection, which we, we have to come on to, because I've, I've seen a list and I need to talk to you about basically every single one of these cars. Your collection <laughs> is, is absolutely spectacular. And from what I can glean, I mean, I've, I've recently hosted a TV show called Three Men, Four Wheels, where we've had access to some amazing collections. And one of my favourite places was, was Nick Mason's Ten Tenths. And there was some beauties there. I'm, I'm sure you've been yourself. Well, you're starting at the top, aren't you, really, there? You, <laughs> there's nowhere to go after that, is there? <laughs> but yeah, he's... Um... He's, he's, he's got a seriously impressive car collection, isn't Nick? And uh, yeah, and a seriously impressive selection of stuff as well. I mean, it's really quite impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's it's intimidatingly amazing. I sat in the two fifty, and I was just like, oh, <clears throat> I, I'm not sure I could even breathe in here because I know how much this thing costs. You know? <laughs> just... Yeah, I mean, it's, there's some amazing, uh, and it's also you know, there's some amazing people <clears throat> rounded about with collections as well. We've got a place near near not far away from me, who's you know where the the, the collection is the you know, the, the Rothko collection. So they've got all the sort of the Gulf McLaren cars and I think they've got something like six F1 cars in there as well. Amazing selection of stuff. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, look, let, let's get started with, with kind of where it started with you, James, because, of course, everybody knows you from telly. Everybody knows you for cooking. The car world know that you're a massive petrol head, but perhaps the broader public, they, they wouldn't necessarily make that immediate association. You were you brought up yeah, on the well, farm. Yeah, kind of keep... I kind of keep it out of out of the way, really. Anybody that's ever been to places such as Goodwood will have seen me at Goodwood, uh, Goodwood Revival. Yeah, uh, they'll have seen me at the Festival of Speed. They'll have seen me at the sort of Car Fest, where I bring a few bits and pieces there. Um, but I kind of, yeah, I, I've been collecting for many, many years, nigh on thirty years, really. Um, it all started, I'll be honest with you, somebody asked me this the other day, where did your love of car start? It started when I was a young kid, like many things. You know, my grand, my grandmother, I remember going on a, on a boating holiday. We couldn't afford to go on holiday, really, so we used to go on the River Thames on, a, on one of those rented boats for a week. And um, there used to be a, 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 a toy shop on the bridge, uh, just over the bridge at uh, Windsor. I don't know if it's still there anymore. <clears throat> and my, my granny bought me a little Ferrari toy, Oh, cool. And I treasure that toy. I've still got it now. My granny sadly passed away, but I've still got that toy. I've kind of been any more than six, five, six years old. And around a similar sort of time, I was at Scarborough. We used to go on holiday at Scarborough as well because we weren't very far away from Scarborough living as a uh, as a family. And um, there was a, there's a place called Henry Marshall's. Anybody who's ever been to Scarborough will know there's an arcade, <clears throat> a massive great arcade place. And... Um, this Aston Martin pulled up, this soft-top Aston Martin. And uh, I remember they're the getting out of the car, the, the owner and the, his partner got out of the car and walked into the the the, the, the place and packed it right outside the front. And I remember sat there, looked, stood up next to it with ice cream, like a 99 dripping on my hands and onto the paintwork. <laughs> and this guy came out. My mum told me off for, for going near it and dripping ice cream on the paint and the guy said no 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 it's absolutely you would like to sit in it lad and, oh. I, and I remember him I sat in the driver's seat and, I, and he was holding the ice cream that was dripping in his hand <laughs> and I sat in there picked all of the wheel with ice cream dripping everywhere and, and that was it that that was the moment that's Just amazing thought, this is, yeah that was it and and 
<clears throat> never I thought in my life I would ever ever be able to achieve that. And, you know, you used to look through the old uh, Exchange of Mart when Google wasn't around and the internet wasn't around. You used to ring through the Exchange of Mart for cars that you would like when you passed your, passed your driving license and then realize you can't afford them because of the insurance. So I ended up with a, 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 a chopped, chopped up uh, Vauxhall Nova. It was a white one with a boot on the back. It was three cars welded together. And I bought it for 170 quid. Brilliant. <laughs> and, and it went everywhere, that car. And I had it all throughout my college college life. And uh, my mates were into motorbikes, and they sadly passed away with, by choosing to go to motorbikes when they were young kids. So, right. so three of these before us hanging around together at school, I think there's probably only me left now. Because I was the only one that didn't go into motorbikes straight away, and um, but I used to sort of enjoy cars on the farm and that kind of stuff. Not like I had fancy cars. We we just had we just had tractors. But I enjoyed sort of driving the tractor when I was in my teens, you know, twelve, thirteen, that kind of stuff. And and I suppose it wasn't until I went to London where I saw all the amazing cars there. When you were working in London at sixteen, seventeen, I used to finish work and walk past all these showrooms and sort of peer through the window. I love that your passion, James, started with cars, with, with, with that moment, but it also involved yeah. food. I love that you had yeah, an ice cream. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> not, like... most, people know that, most people know that I he, he loves it too much sometimes when you see the size of me, but it's, <laughs> I, 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 I've never followed a trend. I've always tried to be honest with everybody and, and the, the, you know, in terms of my food and everything else and, and believe in what you believe in. You know, people know that I love butter. I, I don't follow a trend. There's nothing going to be no health food book coming uh, your way from me in my career but I just enjoy food and I can't understand why anybody doesn't enjoy it like what I enjoy it um, and and to me it's a, you, your job is now slightly different to what it was before but the enjoyment of being able to show people how amazing food is is just a it's a pleasure you know oh I mean you've, you've unlocked a whole nation of food lovers now which is I mean, it must be a very rewarding thing to hear because you I mean you're passion and, and love for food started as young as it did for cars, didn't it? You were, were you catering weddings at 11? Is that right? Yeah, I had my own little business when I was eight. Um, my dad was quite an astute sort of business, business mind, really. He would always tell you profit and loss that, you know, if you were doing a wedding, and I used to cater for weddings when I was 10, I think, my first ever function, I think, um, on my own. And he used to say, right, we buy this chicken for this. You need to, you know, you need to give your mum some money to use for the electric and bits and pieces, and then you sell it for this. <clears throat> and that that little bit at the end of it is you, um, is yours. Um, and and I, I, I never forget it really. And it's, it's a valuable lesson really, right throughout my school days because I, I never passed a single exam at school. I was I'm severely dyslexic, so you know I never really passed a single. Well, I didn't pass the single exam. I think I got a, a, an O level in art. That was it. Fell cookery failed a lot. Failed cookery. Uh, gave you enough qualifications. Yeah, I failed cookery. I, I couldn't. Do, I could do it practically wise. I remember nearly getting expelled from school at the age of nearly. Le- I think it was just gone eleven at secondary school because they ask you what you wanted to do that week, and and people brought in Swiss rolls and you know fairy cakes and cupcakes and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I did flambé morsh t- flambé chicken livers with morsh two and roquette Crikey. when I was eleven, and then I get, nearly got expelled for bringing alcohol into school because <laughs> I set fire to it in the corner and there's a flames going. And I was flambéing it. But do you know what I mean? It's all I ever did. It's all I've ever done. Um, I don't really know anything else, you know. Um, hey. And I don't really want to know anything else. Can you still remember the name of the cooking teacher that failed you? Yeah, Mrs. Baxter. Never forget it. Yeah. The last words to me was, I walked out the door, you'll never, ever be a chef. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Have you have you seen her since? <laughs> oh yeah, seen her a few times. She denies it, but you remember that thing as a kid. You know, you, you remember those words, and you remember the inspiration and the 
but the, the positives and negatives. I, I'll be honest with you, I hated school. I absolutely hated school. Because, uh, every because single of being dyslexic? Every single bit of it. I knew that when I had an English lesson, I knew that I'd be sat there crying my eyes out doing 20,000 words at the end of the, end of the day because I knew it. Yeah. I couldn't spell. So I would get them all wrong. And, and dyslexia wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't even thought of then, really, was it? It was just you, were, you couldn't do English, so you were put in, a, in, in the D class and, and put in a thing called life skills. But yes, having said that, life skills taught me, taught me a crucial thing about life, you know, about setting up a bank account, profit and loss, doing all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's quite interesting that, 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 that probably if you look at the successful people that came out of my school that year, they were all in what they classed as the, well, dare I say, it, back then it, it, it was the thickos class they used to call you. Yeah. Which, which was a stigma that I'll never forget. But my God, you do a school reunion now. I know where the other three that were in that class with me and they've done extremely well. And, and, and so, you know, it drives you, you know, and I, and I, and I do a lot of stuff for dyslexia at the moment. And I say that, you know, with the young kids, you know, it, it shouldn't be a stigma. It should be a, it should be a badge of honor mm. because it, it diverts your attention and your, your brain into something that is kind of a, you, you don't want to know about stuff that's not relevant. Yes. Um, yes. You focus on and, the stuff and, that matters to you. Yes, I knew quickly at the age of eight that Shakespeare was going to be no good to me in my job. So I twisted off. Um, and Because I, I didn't understand it. And I, and I think, you know, I was quite fortunate that when I got to Catering College, there was a guy called Ken Alton that spotted me in my first year who saw something that, he said, I've seen something in you that I've not seen in a young kid for a long time. And it was almost that karate kid moment where you end up working in the evening and he teaches you and he trains you and you know, that I value that so much, you know, uh, and I value my career to this day is, 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 is from, from a lot from him, definitely. That seems to be the story of, of several chefs, that, that you get spotted by somebody who's older, who's been there, done that, you know, got yeah. the stars and so on, and they see it's, it's, it's a combination of talent and work ethic, isn't it? It's not just... Well, they understand it, you see, yeah. and they understand, you, they, they can spot a talent, you know, I can spot somebody, how they, I can spot somebody in a kitchen, how how long and how successful their career is going to be by just the way they work with the food. I don't even have to taste it. You can tell. You can just tell. And and then coupled with that, the talent to be able to create and taste comes over years of training. But that dedication comes into the fact of where you want to work. You know, to me, I cannot understand it why people don't work harder than other people in a business to achieve success. I have no understanding for it whatsoever. In my mind, I do not understand why people switch off at five o'clock. I've got no idea why. I still can't. It's so refreshing to hear you say that, James, because I've, I've always sort of struggled with that as well. I've, I've never quite understood the people that are satisfied at mentally switching off and then just going to the pub and having the same conversations they have every that, single night. Yeah, with that, if, that's, if that's what you want to do, I have no problem with it. But don't, don't then, well, worse is no social media now, hurl abuse at people for being successful. Yeah. You know, they've worked generally, some are privileged for, for sure, but, you know, there are a lot of people out there that have worked incredibly hard and risk a lot to achieve success. Now, success is not financial. Success is, is mentally what's in your heart more than anything else. You know, my most successful time in my life was when I became a head chef at 21 years old. There's no question. It wasn't when I bought my first fancy car. It wasn't when I bought my first house. It was none of that. It was when I became a head chef. That's all I ever wanted to do. Now, I achieved that very, very quickly by a, a route of good luck, hard work, 
um, dedication. And, and I remember when we opened, I had two years without a single day off. I worked 19 hours a day for two years with no days off. Is success a feeling, uh, James? Uh, success is success is watching your head, isn't it, really? It, a lot of people judge success by what fancy car you drive. I, I've never done that because I think anybody that drives a, an open-top latest Ferrari just looks a bloody idiot. Um, unless you're George Clooney, and I'm not George Clooney, but you just I just look as if I've nicked it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? I, it, it, success is... It's what people want. Some people wear fancy watches and 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 like I said, show it off. I, I, that, that's fine if that's what you want to do. I have nothing wrong with it. You know, I embrace success. I think success is amazing. It gives you something to work for, something to look forward to. Mm. But you look at there's a, there's going to be a lot more people far more successful than you. So then that would drive you on and go. You know, I, I've got no aspirations to have you know restaurants all over the place or houses all over the place. But I want to do what I do and do the best of what I can do. And know that every single day I wake up, I'm trying to achieve something that I better than I did yesterday. Yes, and yes. That's all you can do, you know. And you, and, talk you about know, and, and you, yeah, and that that that's a graph. But it's also about people around you, the team around you. You know, I get far more inspiration now in my life by having a team of people around me that you try and, and, and work with that team, and and that team is is you know any successful business or anything else like that requires a team around you, you know, and, and that's why, you know, I'm not Jamie Oliver, I'm not Gordon, but what they are brilliant at is building that team around them, you know, to be able to motivate them to, to then, you know, realize the skills of you're not, you're good at and realize the skills that you're not good at. And you, you, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You, you know, if you're not very good at that, you put somebody in that, that piece of that jigsaw who's extremely good. Um, and that's not by having a, you know, it, it's not, it's not by thinking you're the best because you're not the best. It's by building up that team around you and giving that motivation that you you try and succeed, you know. And and a restaurant business is a prime example. So many restaurants open up and and don't succeed. And the reason what the ones that do succeed have got that team and longevity, and but also they value the customer. So it's it's about thinking about every single little detail and not about yourself. If that makes sense, it sounds yes. really weird. Not, but it isn't about you. It's about everything. You're yes. just one part of the jigsaw puzzle. You're creating a moment, aren't you, for for an individual to come in and go, it's not just what's put in front of them on the plate, it's not what happens in their mouth and their taste buds and so on, it's the whole thing, isn't it? No, we had a, we've got a young kid that started for us at the front of the house and he was he's 17 when he started, when he's 18 now, and he turned around to me just, just before lockdown and said, Chef, can I, can I work on a Saturday? I went, yeah, but you're supposed to have a day off tomorrow. He went, yeah, I won't work in the kitchen. And I said, right, okay. He said, yeah, I'm coming in and work for nothing, it's fine. And I went, I can't, I can't stop you, can I? But if you want to come in, come in. And, and you know, for a young 17-year-old kid to be able to do that and to be able to, 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 to work in, you know, have that work ethic. I can't teach people to do that. So what I can do is embrace it and and, and, and let that shine and, and give them the opportunity to be able to forward their career. And let's face it, through all the stuff that we've been going at the moment, a lot of the younger generation don't know anything other than nightmare that we're going through in hospitality you know they don't know the fact that they could be a year and a half put back from what i was when i was a young kid you know in training so you can you can all you can do then is just give them a helping hand and when they do want to move help them 
and what, follow them their career, you know? What he's secured now is your respect for life, well, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's secured my respect, but, you know, that, that respect is still, like I said to the team, you know, if, if, you want, if you want to work anywhere else, I will help you get a job anywhere else, you know? And you'll get to a point where you actually don't need to apply for a job anymore. Um, because if, if there's sort of me and, 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 and I send you to Tom and Tom then sends you to Paul Ainsworth and Paul Ainsworth sends you to Gordon, the, between the four of us, you 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 know you will help you you know that's the thing and it and it's just this this industry is so big but it's so small um and it and that's what I value of it it's just a, it's an amazing business to be in nightmare sometimes but amazing mm. yes it's unique as well i mean every business is i guess but but in the kitchen in particular it's a it's a remarkable theatrical crazy place to be isn't it it is. It's like an orchestra that, that, that one person's playing out of tune. It requires the other people to sort of help and, and bring, the, and the, you, the music doesn't stop. And, and unlike any other business, you're having to do it breakfast, lunch, afternoon, tea, dinner, breakfast, lunch, and you do that seven days a week. It does not stop. And if there's one thing that, you know, this, this scenario, is, 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 if there's a positive from it, is the fact that we never had time. You know, we've never had time. I've never had time to be able to, to sit in the garden and think about stuff. I've never had time to to polish my car, but, right. but you know, you, do you know what I mean? I've yeah. never I've never had time to be able to sit and appreciate stuff and look through the history of some of the cars and and think actually that's amazing. I'll quite you know maybe look into that a little bit more. You know that kind of stuff. Yes, yes. Whereas you know you had a little bit of a little bit of luxury, which is incredibly rare for a chef. I, I, obviously, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was quite fortunate. You know, we were, I was quite fortunate. I took a punt when I was a young kid. Uh, we opened a hotel that became incredibly successful, um, but it was a big risk. You know, the risk was you put it, it. It's a gamble, and you put it all on red. And and it's unlike a gamble where you're watching the ball go around a roulette table. It's how much you're prepared to work to make that work. And everybody on that team was prepared to work. And we made it work. And that's the, that's the thing. And they've all gone on to be very successful, which is great. <laughs> and again, it's not successful. is not the financial thing. It's successful is, you know, the owners of which are hugely successful. And they did really, really well out of it. But in your mind, you did, you did extremely well because looking at it over a, four or five year period you had nothing and then all of a sudden you had something and that something was enough to put a deposit down on a house which you wouldn't have had before so. yeah, yeah no it's and, and actually what people don't sort of see as well is 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 the kind of behind the scenes you've kind of touched on the mad hours that you put in early doors and the and the, and the experiences <laughs> yeah. people forget things like i mean am i right in saying you know your mum used to have to send you food vouchers to get through you got you got stabbed yeah, through the London. arm on one occasion during a service and, and had to keep going i mean this is you know this is kind of yeah. superhuman crazy level stuff no it's just it was the norm back then you know it's not it, thank god it's not the norm now but um you know it is the norm but it was the norm back then you know i remember i remember having a knife through my arm and and, and having to finish work first before i could walk to the hospital uh, i couldn't i couldn't cycle because i had my bike nicked <laughs> i didn't have a car couldn't afford a car there and i walked to the hospital i remember going past it about four or five years ago and it was the Hammersmith Hospital. I just turned out of the restaurant, turned right, and kept walking because I didn't know where the hospital was. <laughs> this is before Google Maps and all that sort of stuff. And and, and walking in there with with, and I said I just slipped and slipped and fell in the kitchen. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I was back at work the next day. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> 
you look back now and you go, but do you know what? Uh, would I do it again? Yeah, of course I would. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we have to talk cars, but I've just got one more chef-related question, if that's all right. And then, <laughs> and then I need to hear about your garage and your passions and your, your racetrack time and everything. But am I right in saying, and please forgive me if I'm wrong on this, James, but am I right in saying that the, your sort of only bugbear, as it were, is, is the Michelin star thing, which is something that is, is, is evasive so far? Yeah, a lot of people said that. We, we got close. We got in the Michelin Guide. We were sort of big gourmand and stuff like that. But I think looking back at it, you can look at your career, what you were doing to a certain point in my 20s, and I was very much more going that, that way. Mm. Um, and then television suddenly came about, and the, the, the hotel was going away that was going away from the Michelin thing, but it was the right thing to do at that time because it was very much more, you know, the hotel was the first sort of boutique hotel that was, it was the Hotel de Land. So they, 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 were, they were leaders. We were sort of the early the early bit of this simple food cooked with Michelin experience, but without the, 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 the fancy stuff, if that makes sense. And, and it, part of me sort of looks back, my mates laugh at it because they've all got Michelin stars. They've got two stars and three stars and one stars. And they've all got these amazing restaurants. And they, they sort of laugh at me telling them about it, but I'd be interested to know what would have happened if I'd have gone left. Yes. And, and then television took me sort of right, uh, which was, I mean, you're right, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great decision. But in your head, when you wanted to be a chef, when you put that apron on at eight years old, I'm sat here talking to you now, and I've got an apron and a chef jacket on. And I'm, I'm, I'm in the kitchen cooking. Uh, but, but, well, out of the kitchen, but I'm, I'm, I've been cooking all morning. But it, it's, it's that kind of what would happen if we went left. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, I don't know. think of all the hundreds of hours of TV you wouldn't have hosted, and all those people you yeah. wouldn't. Well, have you, met you know, at the end of the day, you can't, you can't, you know, you, you just the career is you go left or right, but it, in your head you're going to go. What would have happened if it had gone left? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. It'd been quite interesting. But I, I rather think you you'd go. have made a success of it either way. To be fair, well, I don't know. Nobody knows, do they? But uh, you, my mates, my mates are all Michelin star chefs, and that's the reason why we get these this caliber of chefs on the show because they know my sort of background. They know where I've been. They know where they're trained. And, and chefs are very much there's a, there's a club, and 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 that club requires you to sort of not not sort of you know not sort of tick the box but have been there seen it done it you know what i mean yeah. and i think by by been there and been at these restaurants it gives the chefs sort of um they relax when they're on the show because they know that i can step in and help them well you're one of you them know? you know you're, you're, you're well right. yeah you become you become one of them because you are one of them yeah you know um and, and and that's why uh, the people still come to my restaurant and think, why is that is that him? What is he cooking for? I said, well, I enjoy it. Why not? You know, why not? Too right. Too right. Also, you'd feel so cheated if you came to your restaurant and you were there but not cooking, like just sitting there. Well, you, you can't be everywhere, but I've only got two places. I can't. I've only got two places, but there are a lot of chefs with a hell of a lot of restaurants, and, and that's brilliant. And the business is amazing. That's great. But I'm quite comfortable with that. I'm, yeah. quite, I'm quite cool. I don't. I don't. I think it's amazing that chefs can run restaurants and 50 restaurants. I think it's fantastic. Um, and the success is amazing. I think it's brilliant. But there's also, I admire a, 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 a fish and chip shop who's been there 25 years and who's doing, you know, two and a half thousand fish and chips a day. It's amazing. Yeah. So, and, a, and a lady down the road who's got a little cafe that's, that's making her own cakes. It's also amazing. So, 
you know. Absolutely. Everybody's Absolutely. trying. No, more power to them. Now, we've got to talk four wheels, and two, in fact, because you, <laughs> you, you love your bikes as well. I'm going to quote you. This might be wrong, in which case, fair play, but let's see if you... Probably wrong. is. You've been on Google again, have you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, actually, this is from a magazine that I've got randomly, and I've just had to is keep it around forever. So it says, food first, then cars, then my dog, then women. <laughs> oh yeah, well that yeah, yeah we're talking twenty twenty two years ago, twenty eight years ago. So yeah, yeah, that was when it, that was when it printed media. Now, 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 now the internet sort of stuff. The trouble is, you say stuff like that and it sticks. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, but to be fair, of, it's a pretty good way of life. You know? I might have I might have moved stuff around a bit since then, but um, still cars the have for... always been a always been a big passion of mine. You know that you know. Uh, my mates over the years have collected kids and marriages and, and, and divorces and stuff like that. But I just, I, I, I don't know what it is. It, it, it started out life as just buying one and, and that one then, then kicked off and it went, it went mad. It went absolutely mental. And, um, yeah. And it was that one. I, I remember it was, I don't remember exactly when it was, where it was, what year it was and what date it was. I remember exactly when it was. And um, it was at a car show in, in Germany, in Essen, uh, 17th of April, uh, 26 years ago. And um, I, 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 quite fortunate, I, I did a little business deal when I was quite young, and it, and it came off. And um, it was, the, do you remember the Pagani Zonda? Oh, yes. Yeah, well, there was, there was, there was sort of, that was a talk of that kind of stuff. We're talking quite a long time ago now, it was the, over 20 years ago it must be now and and anyway there was there was a Begani Zonda and, and and over sort of a four or five year period I, I'd been going backwards and forwards to this this car show in Essen um, it's quite a famous classic car show yeah. uh, but not just classics they've got a bit of everything but it's huge about twice the size of the NEC it's massive mm. and um, I used to go there backwards and forwards just take the car and just go over there for, for a weekend Um and I remember going in there one Saturday morning and uh, I, I went through a different entrance and I walked in there and there was two Mercedes-Benz Gullwings on the stand, on the Mercedes-Benz stand, huge, it was a stand, it was a whole hall. There was two Mercedes-Benz Gullwings uh, for sale. And, and it was two minutes after the show had opened and one of them had just sold on the left. Gosh. Um, and I remember walking up to the gentleman, and it was a German chap, a sales guy. And, and a lot of these, you know, bear in mind that I'm 24, 25, 25 maybe. Okay. Um, and a lot of these sort of chaps, and you go to a sale room, they go, oh, yeah, here we go, another tire kicker, and just ignore you. And, um, and this gentleman just said, would you like to sit in it? And I went, I think it's, I think it's the most beautiful thing at the show and I've been here two days but this is this is the first time I'm coming this this way um, I think it's the most beautiful car I've ever seen mm. um, and he said well you know da, 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 da. and he said um, you know what, what what cars are you into I said well I, I had a Vauxhall Nova <laughs> and then I had a Fiesta and, and, and I said I'm, I'm interested in buying sort of my first car my first mega car and, and I looked at a a modern car and I had a Ferrari and bits and pieces and saw the excited tactical table. But it was <laughs> it was genuinely a choice of either this or a Bagani's Honda. And and I remember just going, Do you know what? I love this so much. And I didn't drive it and I said what you know, I, I asked him what the price was and it was I'll be honest with you, it was hundred and fifty five thousand pounds. Okay. Okay. Which was which more money than I'd ever seen in my life. A lot of especially back then, a colossal a lot of amount money. of cash. A lot of money. Yeah. And I remember shaking his hand and I said, 
do you need me to sign for anything for the car? And he went, no, no, the shake of a hand is good enough for us. Oh, good for uh, him. We will, we will fly you over to Germany and you can have a test drive of it. And then if you like it, then you can buy it. But we'll take it off the market now. The show was running for another week. And then we'll give you a shout. And sure to his word, I flew over, test drove it up this mountain with this amazing racing driver, German racing driver. Um, and it was silver. It was red leather. It was beautiful. Um, and I bought it and I came back. And I, and I, and I was living in a flat. And I had a going Mercedes in storage down the road. <laughs> Blimey. And I genuinely didn't know what I'd bought, to be honest with you. I, I, and then the process started. Then the, then, you, then you look at it, you get the brochures, you get the sales brochures, you get the old stuff, and I started collecting that kind of stuff and, okay. and understanding the history of it and who owned it and all that kind of stuff. So you and basically, this, this, was an, uh, this was almost an ignorant purchase. It was just with your heart. Yeah, well, it, not, uh, yeah, yeah, be honest with you, I didn't know anything about them. Um, I just thought it was a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful you thing. You know, and yeah. I just thought it was a beautiful thing. I thought it was a better looking thing than a Bugatti Honda or a Ferrari, be honest with you, modern thing, because the minute, you know, in, in, yeah, let's face it, if you, if, you, if you do a bit of success, you're going to go out and buy yourself a, or a car or a watch or whatever, wherever it was. Uh, and a, prior, a house wasn't a priority for me because it was just on my own. Didn't, didn't need a house. I was living in a flat. <laughs> Above a Chinese restaurant. Wing, to be fair. No, but then but the going was down the road. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I didn't really know what I bought. And then I, you know, you gradually sort of look at it, and then 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 all of a sudden I looked at the classics, and I really got the bug. And then then all of a sudden it started to grow, and um, yeah, it went crazy very quickly afterwards. So the Gullwing is is this the one that you looked after so brilliantly that you ended up selling it back to Mercedes Benz for Mercedes Benz <laughs> World. <laughs> Mercedes-Benz bought Brooklands and they turned the Brooklands into a motor museum and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that car, you can see, is in Brooklands now. As soon as you go in, Mercedes World, it's in there. I've sat in it. I didn't realise it was yours. It is yeah. a staggering uh, car. Do you still visit it? one UXD. That's my old car. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever go back and just kind of reminisce with it? Uh, no, I look at it and I think, I, do you know why I look at it and go, why haven't you changed that number plate? Because the number plate... <laughs> My mate in mind to builder and still is to this day. Uh, when I got the car, I bought the number plate and it arrived. And it's too long for the to the in between the two bits of the the, the bumper. Fantastic. So we angle grind it. <laughs> we cut it off with an angle grinder, as in the number plate, and stuck it on. And Mercedes haven't changed it, and it infuriates me because it's not. It doesn't look good, <laughs> but they they think well, it, it's, it's part of its history, which is correct because when you're looking after a car. You're just looking after it for the next person. You're not a classic car. It's not a disposable thing. It, it, you're just looking after it because you love it and then hopefully pass it on to somebody else who will also love it. And, and, and when you change bits and pieces, that's part of its history. And they're, they're right. They're, they're, they're right. I love that approach. You see yourself as a caretaker. I think that's terrific. Yeah, there's a great, there's a great watch manufacturer and, and one of the greatest in the world that says um, uh, you don't actually own a Patek Philippe. You just look after it for the next generation. <laughs> it's, it's the same with classic cars, isn't it, really? I, and people say about the electric car, the electric car will be the saviour of the classic car because it will enable you to look after classic cars, whereas nowadays the cars that we have are disposable, Okay, which is sad. What an incredible way of looking at it! Yeah, that's amazing. Let's let's talk more about your collection then, James, because it's it's a sizable. You know, it's not just a couple, is it? You've you've got what close to forty cars at the moment? Is that right? There's, yeah, there's there's about yeah we're, we're yeah about that about that yeah 
about that and a real eclectic mix really and um, when I saw the going quite quickly after that I, I then bought a Maserati I bought a, what was called a Maserati A6 uh, Monoposto That's, this which is was a raced by Fangio rare car isn't it this, I mean there's hardly anything one of only three yeah one of only one of only three yeah it was a it was a it, it's quite a rare car and Fangio raced them um, at the Milli Miglia and um the problem when I I wanted to do the millimeter, but that's why I bought it. And 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 in hindsight, I should have probably gone in the going, but I sold the going to buy this. Um, but it was it was and I had the right people to do it and everything else. And it, uh, and to be fair, it was it was not. It, it, when you look at the history of them, they all did the millimeter, and they all broke down after 100 miles. <laughs> uh, so is that uh, what happened uh, to you? <laughs> you got... And that broke down at 120 miles. <laughs> Um, and it, it was just a bit fragile. It was just a bit fragile. You needed a bigger engine. You need low revs to be able to just keep going. But the old Bentleys used to, you could do it three times in a Bentley, 1930s Bentley, 1940s Bentley. Whereas this thing used to, it's quite a small engine. It was quite high revving. And it, it yeah. Anyway, in hindsight, it, it wasn't great. It just shows you how and hard that, Vangio drove them, doesn't it? Don't, don't buy yeah, a car well, Vangio. I, I wasn't driving anything like him, but then I sold it and bought a, I, I remember going to Goodwood and seeing a yellow Ferrari 275 on the stand. Oh. And um, I missed it. Uh, I genuinely, I, I loved it. I missed it. And I, I said, is that car so? He said, the, this guy's just bought it just before you came on the stand. And I went, and I, and I remember standing for two hours, I was wandering around this car going, that, that looks amazing. Look at it. 275, and, so what, um, mid-60s here we're talking? It's 1975, 275, yeah, yeah. competition, yeah. yeah it's, um, and it's a long-nosed one. They do short-nosed one, but like the, like the, the D-type, the long-nosed one looks looks better than the short-nosed, I think. It's, it's people's perception, whatever it is, but I think the long-nosed one looks prettier. And it had the bumpers taken off, so it was a little bit little bit funky. Um, yellow, it was quite cool. Um, roll cage in it, harnesses, all that kind of stuff. Side exhaust, it was, it was quite a... You know, it wasn't your stereotypical, you know, wire wheels. It was the really rare magnesium wheels, these ones. And anyway, so about two two years later, I get a phone call from a dealer friend of mine who who, who found me a couple of cars over the E family, the, the A6, the, the Maserati. And I and I sold it, and and so, I, so it sort of sat. I sold the car and. Uh, the, the Maserati, and, and anyway, I, he knew that I was looking for bits and pieces. This guy looks for other people. I mean, he's found cars for quite a few other people in the past. And then I got a message while I was doing Saturday Kitchen one day, live for the Beeb. I got a message going, uh, do you like this? And it was the car that I'd looked at three years ago, two years ago at Goodwood. And he said, I'm in Germany now. I'm buying a collection, but I can't afford the collection, but I'm selling off. A lot of people were going there and, these dealers would go in there and sell the collection before they even bought it, if that makes sense. Okay, They'd phone yeah. up a lot of people would secure the Do you want to buy this? Do you want to buy that? Yeah, That's how it all works, really. The, the good stuff generally very rarely comes up at auction. It's all just sold without without coming up for auction. And uh, and, and then they said, well, you've got an hour to decide. And I was live on air oh. thinking, while I was cooking this bloody sea bass and interviewing all these guests, thinking, right, I want to buy this car, but I can't tell anybody. Can I afford it? And anyway, I just bought a house that week. I just oh, bought no. this house that I was going to do up. So, and I went, yeah, I'll have it. <laughs> and that was the money that I was going to use to do the house. They actually put a roof on the bloody house because the thing was dropping a bit. And I lived, I lived in a motorhome for two years. Oh, that's uh, In amazing. my driveway. But I had this car. Oh, yes. 
honestly, this is how this is how messed I'm a cat. I had a house that I couldn't live in. I lived in a motorhome in my driveway for two years, but I had a Ferrari, and the garage was the first thing I built when I when I got back to house the car. That's brilliant. That is absolutely I was supposed brilliant. to do the house, but I did the garage first. I can just so so when that text message came through, you're live on air, and you know we both hosted telly before. You've done loads and loads and loads. Yeah, you, you your attention has to be on what you're doing, but if something like that comes in, it was it's, it's totally in the back bit. of your yeah. head, isn't it? You're, you're like, oh. yeah, it was a bit, and, then, and and funny enough, that's the same garage where we film the Saturday show now. Brilliant. That that is the exact same garage that I built for my car, and the reason why it's got a mezzanine floor, this vaulted floor is that I wanted to put a, a, a four-poster ramp and I was going to put my bedroom upstairs so the car, it was really boys thing, a, a four-poster ramp so I could see the car from, from my bedroom. That's amazing. See, that, what a view. But yeah, that was, that was the, and I still got the Ferrari now. Um, and that's probably the longest, I think that's the longest one I've, I've well, I've had that 16 years now, seven, 17 years. Is that the one you I can't sell? Is that the one that because I've met several uh, kind of classic collectors who will say that this is the one I'm buried in. I'm literally yeah, I want to sell that. Yeah, I want to sell that. That's 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 pretty cool. It's pretty. Uh, but there are several now that I just that that that, that, that I mean a little bit more. They're yeah, not high value cars, but the the, the Keith Floyd two CV. You know that that's oh. that's a given. I want to sell that. No. Um, you know, there are certain ones where I just they've got more sentimental value than anything else. Yeah, but there's certain ones where if you sold, you would never be able to get another one. So there's that sort of scenario. But you know, certainly, certainly those that one, the Ferrari is yeah, is definitely not for sale. Can you tell me about the the 350 Shelby Mustang? Have you still got that? Yeah, I still got that. That 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 took uh, about two years to restore. There's an amazing guy, um, Quinton Carmichael, who suddenly retired now, but. Uh, he used to build sort of one car a year. Uh, they were all like mega. There's only him that builds it, and he does all the paneling, panel beating, engine work. He, he's a he's just a genius, but works on his own because he couldn't find anybody good enough Ooh. to work with him. Wow. So he used to have a project, and for the last sort of probably ten years, he's been doing projects for me, different projects, and and one of which was a I think the first car that he did for me was a. 350 Shelby Mustang that uh, we got from Florida and it had been tracked so it was a little bit sort of left hand down a little bit on the suspension and when we took it apart it sort of fell apart <laughs> and so we said right if we're going to do it let's do it properly and we built it how it should should have been built so but we slightly modernized it we put the took the leaf springs off put the, uh, put, uh, the calipers on it as well um, the same just a bigger engine 7 litre V8 um, but Alcantara inside, uh, yeah, it's proper thing, oh, proper thing, magic, proper tools. Magic. But uh, exhaust came from America, uh, running gear came from Australia. Uh, yeah, but proper all the panel, all the panels that you usually buy online are all rubbish. So, so we just we built them. We built it all out of aluminium. Built the whole thing. I remember the bonnet took about eight hundred hours. Gosh, just to get the bonnet and the side bits to fit. There's a tremendous amount of work because the, the scoop on it and everything. But yeah, that's 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 that's, that's fourteen years I've had that one. How much um, do you get to drive these, James? How how often do you get to take uh, each car? Generally, out? anybody that's a classic car, you go in whichever one works. <laughs> <laughs> whichever one will start first is usually the sort of thing. Um, you you weigh it up, going, is this going to make the journey? 
and is it going to start when I when I wake up in the morning wherever I'm going? So it's kind of that sort of stuff. But there, whichever one really works. But I, can't, I generally drive all my cars. However, they should be driven really. That you know, particularly the sort of the, the competition cars which I'm into now. Yeah. You 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 know you you drive them quite a bit because you have to drive them a bit because otherwise they, they won't work. Otherwise they're not worth having. Yeah. I mean, James, I've got to share this with you because it's a it was a really special moment for me last year, and I, I think this will resonate with you as well. I was lucky enough because of the TV show. I was lucky enough to get invited to Paddy Hopkirk's house, and <laughs> there he was with the Monte Carlo winner, and. Yeah. My days. I've I've had a passion for minis since I was tiny, and I think you share that. Yeah, thirty three AJB. It's probably one of the rarest minis around. Yeah. Uh, he's got. I've got eight Emo, which is pretty rare. Um, then I've got uh, OBL forty eight F, which is another rare one. Um, they only built sort of late twenties. Uh, the the in numbers, the original works Cooper S's. Um, and for some reason now there is 33 of them. I don't know where the rest of them come from, but there are there are on the register that many. Um, but they're, they're 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 cool. They're iconic. You know the the old um, series one cars. You know the way that they were designed on a cigarette packet, that kind of stuff. And yeah. and and the rally cars are just iconic. They're very very different. Very very different to a usual uh, mini. Um, and they've all got amazing stories. They've all got amazing paperwork, the histories. I've got the bill sheets. I've got the, the paperwork when they used to send them around to Monte, Car- Monte Carlo for the rally. I've got all those, the RSC rally, all that kind of stuff. And all the history, the pictures, the photographs. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and then, you, you know, you go to the 60s right up to sort of the, the modern rally cars that I've got now, the, the, the iconic, you know, triple five Subaru, which if you're my era, that's the sort of the, the, the era of the late, 90s or 90s, early 2000s, the, the Colin McRae, the, yeah. the um, Sega Rally, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I've got one in my garage, and I've got McRae's Ford Focus. Have you? The iconic sort of Marlboro livery. Oh. So, yeah, that's, he won four rounds of the championship in my car in 2002, that one. Um, but yeah, the, the, the amazing thing with this is you drums the pub. Um, I drove the Scoop Subaru. It's Peter Solberg's Subaru. I drove that to the pub the other day. Peter Solberg's, um, wow, what a legend he is. Dear well, man. everybody thinks you're arriving in some car, you've just been at Alford and put a load of stickers on it. <laughs> but then they quickly realise that you know, <laughs> you've got no key, you've got no, there's, there's no you can't lock it. Um, good luck starting it because you need a, you need a, it's like a, starting up an aeroplane, you need a checklist. Um, yeah, it's got no it runs, on, it runs on more or less jet fuel. <laughs> uh, it, you can't go to the petrol station, fill it up. It's a, it's, they're insane bits of kit, but amazing bits of kit. You, Phenomenal bits of kit. Are you parking that next to the bins as well? Uh, that, that's, you know, that, that sort of sits, uh, yeah, it's down on my local pub, but yeah, I, I've got really into sort of competition, sort of competition cars, um, cars that you can drive on the road that, that were designed that you drive, you know, and then race and then drive home in it. Um, and probably the, the most iconic one that sits, I mean, in the garage now, I've got my craze car, I've got the, the Ferrari, and then I've got this GT40 in the middle. Um, and you know that history, of, uh, and that was before I knew they were even making a film on it. Yeah. Um, and that 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 original GT40 is, you know, I mean, Ford tried to do it for GT, the modern one, but it's not a GT40. It's not the same as it was. It wasn't that. Originally? Never will be a GT40. Never sound like a GT40. Never drive like it. The thing is absolutely insane. It's completely insane. 
And is um, yours the Ford one, or is it, or is yours one of the early Radford ones? No, mine's the, mine the early one. It's like it, it won at uh, last time out. It raced. It won at uh, it won the Whitson Trophy in. 2017, okay. 2018. It was due to race this year, uh, last year, because of then COVID hit. Uh, we might be racing it this year with Jason Plato as my teammate. Of course. Um, but yeah, it was raced, raced, uh, yeah, it, it, and very successfully. It won quite a few of its races uh, uh, recently as well. So it was it with won you a, at the wheel? Won a big race. Sorry? With you at the wheel? No, not not me at the wheel. No, I've got a God, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I think of myself as a racing driver, but that's where the talent stops. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I could, you know, I mean, Jason said you'd be all right if you keep at it. I got within a second off of Mini, in the Mini around Goodwood, but yeah, that's I mean, he's doing that mega. lap after lap after lap after lap, you know, and I remember he taught me how to drive. We, we, he taught me how to drive an F1 car once and I ended up buying the damn thing. Um, <laughs> It was a Benetton. A Benetton. Uh, a okay. Benetton. It, yeah. was, it was it was Gerhard Berger's Benetton, '96 Benetton. <laughs> um, and, and the thought, yeah, and I, and 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 I got within two seconds around Silverstone off him. But hey, but then the, yeah, he'll tell you that an F1 driver will get beaten by five seconds. You know, I mean, yeah, it, it's not bad, but that's you on your own one lap. <laughs> You're not doing that for two hours. No, that's completely uh, fair. Full whack. And, and their, their, their talent is just it's beyond belief. But what's it like in it? Because, I mean, you know, racing a classic, etc., is is amazing, but you kind of know what you're doing because it's... You, you <coughs> An F1 car is a bit like um, uh, on a Star Wars arcade machine. You know when it goes Viper Force or whatever it is and you get those lines? Yeah. It's like that. It's like, it's, it's like uh, Star Trek when you see them go warp speed. Warp speed, yeah. Your brain cannot compute quick enough, um, and, and sort of I, I'm I'm a I've enjoyed flying. I've been a pilot for 15 years, and and I can't, when I've been in a jet and been in the cockpit of a jet and flying, you know I've been flying but on the controls for a minute. But your brain is computing stuff that like my brain can't handle, and 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 also your body can't handle because you know the the just the g forces the the mental ability to be able to do that is just yeah the reaction time everything it's you know the classics are a different thing having said that the classics require a different type of skill you know the, right. the old guys and the and, and the new new drivers that can drive a classic quickly you know there's amazing footage of of the the eight times the mon winner driving driving around goodwood in a gt40 in the wet yeah. you watch that I mean, he's, he's, his wheel's not straight the entire way around, you know, whereas an F1 car is planted, you know what I mean? This thing is just constantly trying to kill you. Yeah, he's just constantly trying to, 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 to drive him off the road, but he's just got his foot planted. It's an amazing footage to see. Um, but it's very different to driving a, driving a modern car. Do you get it? Once, once you've done the, the lap or, or however many you did in the F1 car for the first time, when you got out of it, were you were you just shaking and just like with excitement more than yeah, anything yeah, else? Yeah, yeah. I, I had the privilege, and that's what the amazing thing is with this job. It gives you the opportunity to be able to do stuff. I remember driving uh, Jackie Stewart's Tyrrell for a BBC show because nobody else that they knew could drive an F1 car, and I had two at the time. Um, there's a few people who got them now in terms of television, but you know, I, I was licensed not to race them, but I was licensed to drive that kind of stuff. Um, 
and uh, they would only allow somebody to drive it if they had experience of driving them. Um, and uh, I had 56 laps around Monza oh. uh, with Sir Jackie Stewart watching wow. on the tower, looking at, it was hanging off the, the, the metal railings at Monza, and I had Monza to myself for the entire afternoon. And the sun was setting, and that was your pinch yourself moment. That was the one way you were, I'm not going to get to do this ever again. Yeah. Ever. Ever in my life, With I'm going to do Jackie it. Jackie there as well. Oh. So Jackie in the car that he, he'd never seen a Tyrrell drive around Monza because he was always sat in them. He was always driving yes, them. Yes, of course. Wow. And he knew exactly where I was on the circuit by which gear, which engine note that I was in. And he had a radio and I was listening to it in my ear going, no, you need to be quicker around there. You need to accelerate, brake less around there. And we were getting quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. Uh, it was, yeah, it was amazing. What an amazing. education, what an experience. That no, was amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah, amazing. And that's what, I hate to use the word because I know you despise it, but I, that's kind of what celebrity brings, isn't it? It's, it's that access that, that no one else is ever going to get. Yeah, to a point. But, the, but I suppose in the car world... It, it's um, yeah. Yes, yes, it gets you access, but does it get you the opportunity to be able to to do that and to to do that all the time? That's the different thing, you know. It's uh, yeah. My cars have come via a way of, I suppose, the the business side of it, and 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 that's been taught into me from my when I was a young kid. When I was saying to you, you buy a chicken at this, you sell it at this. Yeah. Um, but that kind of stuff that has enabled me to do that kind of thing. Um, but also diversifying. So no more so than what we're into now, whereas once a business sort of drops off, the other opportunity that comes up and you, you sort of do that, uh, um, that, you know, um, but it's all been a life of risk. Um, and I think the older you are, the, the, the less you want to risk, if that makes sense. But I mean, said that I'll still risk it. That, that's the weird thing, but that's probably that chef crazy gene in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, it gives the opportunity, but does it give you the opportunity to be able to do that all the time? Right. You know, the you reason mean. why you get invited to Goodwood is not because you're a celebrity; it's because you've got the car. Yeah. The car gets you in, not you. And the passion and the knowledge. There's a queue of people like you. The car gets you in. I'm well aware of that. About that. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Because when you want to bring a car in, they go, "Well, is that? It, w- no, we've got one of them." Yeah, you've already got six of those. All right, fine. All right, cool. And they go, "Well, it's me." No, you can't say it's me because no, we've got the car. It's you. It's a car. Yeah, you might get you might get a press pass for a day. (laughs) That'll do. Yeah, it's the car gets you in, and that's that's what excites me about being collecting over the years is that each one of those cars have got a story. And when you walk through the garage and you know, I walk I walk in there, and when I finish work, I, I, I wander around and I have a look through and I sit there and have a look at the paperwork uh, and the history side of it and you go See, each one of these are quite unique mm. um, and, and they've all got a story you know absolutely yeah 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 do you have a daily that's that's not a classic or are you always just yeah I have I have two well three daily cars that I drive around quite a lot for work and I have a I have a a, a, a Arctic truck a, a Toyota Hilux Arctic truck <laughs> okay. which I love yeah um, which is kind of like a yeah I love it I, I, it's, it's, yeah I love it it's a what do you do just truck. like load up the old pallets of fish on the back and, load all my you know, stuff in it and yeah, it, yeah. if I'm going away I just chuck all my stuff in it it's it's bulletproof anybody that's had a Hilux knows that they are the king of pickup trucks they sort ace. of replaced the Defender as the go-to farm vehicle didn't they 
Yeah, I've got yeah. Old gamekeepers will have a high look, um, and and I've got a defender. I've got a I've got a, a defender, a, a, the old school defender. Yeah. Um, and I use that quite a lot. It was made by a company called LR. They're, they're a sort of brand of a twisted, but without the the bling. Okay. And it and it looks like an ex army one, so it's a soft top thing, oh, uh, nice. but it's a new one. So it's in the same green. It's got a canvas soft top, soft top, and it's yeah, that. And I and I and I drive this BMW that that mate of mine JK told me about. I was looking for a sort of a, a state car, and everybody's going on about RS fours, RS sixes. And he went, "No, no, you don't want one of them. Uh, we've had, we've all had them. I went, well, you've all had them. You've had about ten of them as long as I've known him." And he said, "No, buy this." And I went, "I don't even know it existed. What, what do you mean, buy this?" And he went, "It's the best value car on the market. Go out there, find one, and buy it. It is unbelievable." And it's a BMW 760 Li, okay. and to dual blogs it looks like a seven series BM. But I swear I've driven I've driven I, I, a GT3 RS bright green GT3 RS. I've driven it through central London. This gets more looks from the youngsters. Really? Uh, it's a black BMW 760 Li. They all know what it is, and you've got to really know what it is. Yeah. But my God, when you when you own one and drive one. You'll, I'll never ever buy another car other than that. Wow. And they're going to stop making them because it's a V12. So they won't make them anymore. But it is the best new car I've ever driven. What it does everything that any other new car wants to do, but it's incognito. To Joe Blogs, they wouldn't have a clue what it is until you put your foot down. That's clever. 200 and something miles an hour, um, 680 horsepower. Four-wheel drive, four-wheel steer, synthetic vision. Uh, it's got all the gizmos, gadgets on it. Uh, it's incredible. Incredible bit of kit. Wow. And you can drive all the way up to Scotland and feel like you've driven 10 miles. Amazing. Cool. That sounds beautiful. I love that you... you it was a, it was the most subtle of name drops as well, James. Yeah, my mate JK. Jamiroquai told you to buy this car. Uh, well, he's, a, he's a bit of a car note, you know, and he's, we've, we've, we've chatted long. And, well, Nick, Nick Mason, you mentioned, he's been here. We, we've chatted cars for. You know, if you've got a lover of cars, you don't. You don't. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, yeah. where you are. You've all got the same passion. It doesn't matter where people are from. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all. But we've all got this same addiction and same passion. Um, that's that's what it comes down to. It's a special bond. Really. Yeah, it's a special bond that some people yeah, just don't it's, understand. It's, it's, it's just appreciation for them. And and yeah. like I go back to later, you know. There, there are people out doing that, doing that for financial gain. But it's not what collectors do. Collectors buy because they like them and look after them, and they want the next generation to look after it too. If that makes sense, you see a lot of it in the car game. Well, I'm not selling it to them because they're just they're just interested in making money of it. Yeah. So they'd rather sell it to somebody that that can look after it, and they know that it isn't going to go anywhere else. I remember I've got a car in the collection that that a gentleman sold me, and he sold me it. I know that dealers were asking for more money for it to buy it, but he said, "I don't want to do that. I want to sell it to somebody who, who, who's going to look after it." Yeah, that's brilliant. And I said, "Well, everybody's going to look after it." He said, "No, but the difference is if you if I phone you up and said, look, can I come and have a look at the car? I've owned it for twenty five years.' I went, yeah, 'Yeah, no problem. Yeah, you want to look? Come and drive it down the road. Take it, take it out with your wife. Fine. Exactly. Exactly. But do you know what I mean? That's what that's what it is. It's that, that custodian the, thing again, isn't it? That's the key to it. That's yeah. the key to it. It's, you know, I, I, that, that's the important bit to me. I, I, there's several important bits, but that's, that's, that's the thing. But 
Yeah, it's quite a weird thing collecting cars and, and, and classic cars. You either get them or you don't. A lot yeah. of people think, oh, why would I want a car that's, you're constantly listening for it to break down. But It's the history, that, isn't it? It's why the not? artwork and well, the history. That's what makes, yeah. it, there's moments where you just think, wow, it's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very cool. And your collection is, is yeah, mouth-watering. Um, James? <laughs> there's a few... There's a few old bits of shrapnel, ones at work anyway, they're all right. <laughs> I'm desperate to see it. I really want to come and look in your garages. That just sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah, well, no, 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 interesting. When we get guests on the show, they all sort of come down and then they sort of come into the studio and then, can we just have a quick look of what you've got? And yeah, 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 kind of, yeah. Absolutely. Take them around. There's a few bits and pieces here. God, that'd be amazing. Um, James, I've got a random one for you. It's something we do with a lot of our guests. It's a bit of fun. We call it our dream drive. I want you to have a think about yep. this because, of course, you're uniquely positioned for this. Not only are you a car nut, but also you interview famous people all the time. So you're very well versed <laughs> with with the kind of world of celebrity, etc. So the dream drive is simply you can choose any car, any road, yep. and you can have three yep. passengers. They have to be, we have to know who they are. So they can be famous, alive, dead or fictional characters. What are you driving? Where are you driving? And who are your three passengers for this trip? I could tell you that straight away. I would buy. I would have a, a two fifty short wheelbase Ferrari, nineteen sixty four, and I would drive uh, the co- the road from from Moulton to Whitby for fish and chips. Brilliant. Um, and through the Yorkshire Dales, up through there, through, over, over the Filing Dales, uh, past the Earl of Oakham. Anybody local listening to this will know what I'm talking about. But there's the Earl of Oakham. You drop down. Through the final nails, up, up past there, and end up at the Magpie or Trenches for fish and chips. I'd sit and eat it and, and uh, watch the seagulls sit on your bonnet. And I would do that with one person. I would do that with my, my old grandmother, oh, who passed away about 18 years ago. Nobody famous, um, but she was the one that said to me, it said, if you persevere and work hard enough, you'll get exactly what you want. That was it. Brilliant. She's the she's been the inspiration for everything, has she? Yeah, Granny Smith was her name. Uh, yeah, Granny Granny, you couldn't write it, could you? <laughs> but yeah, Granny Smith. Uh, she was a. Uh, I've said it in interviews before, and I don't do like you like you said at the beginning of this. So I think you do it before you press record. I, I very rarely do stuff like this, and I, and I and I and I said said it in an interview a long time ago. I say it again. If I could be ten percent of what she was, I'd be a hundred percent better person. There's no question. Wow. She was one of the most magical people on earth. Um, started with nothing, left with nothing, but left everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. a role model to have. Left the world a better place, which is what we all should be doing. Yes, surely that's the mantra for life, isn't it? I think, you know, it doesn't matter what you what you have, what you've got. There's always be somebody that's got more than you, and that's not relevant. What's relevant is that you're on this planet for a certain period of time. Yeah. Leave it better off than where you were before. And that's not leaving stuff for it, not to do with that, but whether you leave inspiration for a younger generation to, to inspire to be you or inspire to be something or whatever it is. But that's, that's the important bit, I think. Uh, that's why I learned. Um, and not, not really listen to the negative sort of stuff. But there's always going to be, there's always going to be people who hate you. There's always going to be people who dislike you. And don't waste your time trying to make them like you because they've already made that decision. Right. So, so just concentrate on the people around you, um, looking after them, and and doing the best you possibly can. 
that's what you can do. Yeah. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, and, and what a great mantra to have. You know, what, what's the what's the meaning of life? Do some good. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, you know, if you go through life and you do your best and, you know, you've made a bit, you lost a bit and you've done all right and you sit sit back when you're retired at some point. There aren't many chefs that live till they're 106 and, and, and we're, we're, in a, we're in a job that doesn't really have that luxury. Um, but one thing we do is sort of we do burn a candle at both ends and we do love our life and love our job. But would they change it all again? No, would they help? But remember that we get thousands and thousands of people per month coming through our door to eat the food that we serve. And all we're trying to do is make them happy. Sounds good to That's me. That's our job. Yeah. Sounds all right. Pretty nice way of making a living. <laughs> it comes down to that, doesn't it, really? It comes yeah. down to the fact that, you know, you put an apron on when you were eight years old. I still get excited when I woke up this morning. I put my apron on now. I don't have to do it. I don't need to do it. But it's the best bloody job in the world. Yeah, brilliant. To everybody else, you must be mad. <laughs> doesn't matter I love it <laughs> you make it sound very compelling James and uh... yeah well you've got to haven't you really you've got, you've got to you, you, it's, all I, it's all I know and it's all I've ever done and, and I'm in a fortunate situation now in a position where you can not just teach people through a cook school or whatever you're doing or, or, or people tuning in on, on, on to watch a TV program that all I'm trying to do is just say that this produce is amazing don't just go to the supermarket and buy a pizza just look at this. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying you you do this all the time, but just look at it. Um, <laughs> don't don't deny it. And don't, don't sort of don't poo poo it because it's it's seven quid. Just look at it. Look at it. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate the people who make it. And uh, you know, I said uh, there's a great mantra I tell my staff at work, and I said to fully appreciate food you have to understand how it's produced. So I built a veg garden at the back of my, my restaurant and I did it for no other people say I did it for, because you get amazing veg. I didn't do it for that. I did it to show my staff how hard it is to produce the carrots that come into your kitchen. Oh, perfect. What a lesson. Because it's only then you will respect them and respect the people who make it. Because when you wake up one morning and the slugs have eaten all your lettuce, lettuce, because you haven't looked after them and you've, you haven't paid attention to it, then you realise. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> That's a farmer's background in me, really. I love but, it. James, I, I must say, yeah. it's going to sound a bit a bit sort of blow smoky up your arsey, but you're, you're very inspiring. You, you really are incredible company. And you're, you're well, kind I of outlook on life. I, I is, very is rarely do stuff like this. As you know, I don't, I don't do stuff like this. I, I keep very much myself to myself, and yeah. I always have. Um, and... Uh, I mean, my mates are probably going to say, why the hell do you do this anyway? Um, but I don't. I don't do it very often. I like you guys there, and, and, and uh, we've met on several occasions, and you know, and, and I said, you know, we'll talk shop, talk cars, and talk a bit bits and pieces, but it'll be probably 10 years before I do another one. Well, I, I yeah. really appreciate that you've, you've, you've spoken to me today. It That's right. Me. It's a pleasure. It means oh, it's a pleasure. Nice one. Thank you, James. Take care. Have a brilliant day. Take care. All right, boss. Cheers. Bye-bye. The Andy J Podcast. There we go. Absolutely loved 
chatting to James Martin. I can't thank him enough. I really enjoyed that. And uh, those of you that had already heard the car stuff on the Driven Chat podcast, I think you'll find there was plenty of extra bonus material for you here today. And incidentally, if you love your celebrity conversations, I hope you're subscribing. I hope you're telling your friends about the show. I see we're having a nice growing army of listeners, which I really do appreciate. And the feedback that I'm getting privately and across social media and so on is so delightful. The nice stuff, at least. So, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much for that. In a couple of days, we're going to land another one in your inbox with John Burton Race, mega chef, mega chef. And I'll tell you what, he is, he's really interesting. He's got so much to say. So I hope you'll make an appointment to listen to that as well. Look, thanks for your company today. It really, it, it means the world to me. Go out there, smile, make someone laugh, be kind, and we'll catch you on the flip side. If you're enjoying the Andy J podcast, we'd love a review. In fact, if you're enjoying the show, why not tell your friends? Podcasts live and die on, well, often word of mouth, so please tell your friends. Like, subscribe, review, and share. Thank you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 